Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Today is, of course, March 21st, which means it's National Ag Day. Later on in the program, we're going to talk with Max Armstrong of This Week in Agribusiness. He's currently out in Washington, D.C., covering the celebrations of National Ag Day, and he'll give us an update here at the end of the program. Before we get to that, however, we're going to talk about some of the changing rules over waters of the United States. A court case happened earlier this week. Change the rollout of that rule. We're going to talk with Mary Thomas Hart of NCBA about that here in segment two. But before we get into all of that, we're going to take a look at the commodity markets. Corn, beans, and some wheat have a little bit of green on the screen. Nice change after recent market activity. Joining us now for an update on that is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. And Dwayne, nice to see some prices moving to the upside, isn't it? Boy, isn't it though? Yesterday and this morning feels almost, almost like a little bit of a normal trade. The last couple of weeks, you know, with the banking crisis going on, we we've really had to watch the outside markets and have a lot of outside market influences, money flow leaving due to margin calls in a different location. So it kind of created a a tough market to trade in a down market, which is never fun in the egg sector. No, it's not, Dwayne. The fact that we've got a little bit of green on the screen today, do you think the outside markets are at least normalizing about this whole banking situation? Well, yeah, it sure seems like it. Overnight, uh, Yellen mentioned that if we had more banking issues, the government would be quick to step in and help smaller banks as well as just the bigger banks. I think that gave a little bit more confidence. You know, stock market up another 265 today. Looks like a little bit of a U-shaped bottom on the chart. Crude up a buck seventy. So yeah, the outside markets seem more positive today. And I think you're right. I think that's what's bleeding into our grain markets. All right, Dwayne, maybe it's time to turn our focus back to then the fundamentals here in the grain complex. And I want to start in the soybean market. What are we hearing out of Brazil? How's harvest coming down there? And are they getting those beans out of the ports, Dwayne? Uh, yeah, good questions. Yeah, they are rolling along with harvest. Um, about that 60 to 64% depends on who you ask. So over the halfway mark, you, you might see some farmers selling kind of hit our soybean market a little bit as these uh, Brazilian farmers get towards the end of harvest and harvest a record crop, meaning they probably don't have a lot of space for it. So a lot of it will go straight to market. Haven't heard too many logistical issues, heard a little bit earlier, but yeah, with this crop size, it'll be impressive how fast they can get it out. And really, you watched the soybean market yesterday, and it, it appeared that that dip we had, I'm guessing China was in buying that dip because we've got some bull spreading action yesterday and today in the soybean complex, which is good. You know, you think our tight old crop stocks, it seems like whenever we dip below 14 or $15, we have an interested buyer in there. And that's just good support under the market longer term then. It is nice to see folks stepping in there to get a buy in. You mentioned farmer selling coming from down in Brazil. Dwayne, do we have a, a sense of how sold farmers are down there in South America so far this season? Yeah, they're they're generally undersold compared to normal or or compared to their seasonal average. Um, you now, like us, they 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 always seem to want higher prices as well. Um, 
But with the size of the crop, I'm guessing you see more farmers selling as they get to the end of harvest. You know, we'll do the same if we have a record crop here. You know, we fill up our bins and then, you know, the gravy bushels, you could call it, that go to town at the end of harvest probably just gets sold, you know, or more often than not it does. So that's why I'm saying I think you might see a little bit more farmers selling. But for right now, they're actually behind the normal pace. All right. Well, Dwayne, let's take our focus over to the corn market. Again, we're positive in corn today. Not by much. One to two cents here running down the contracts. Anything fundamentally developing in the corn market this time of year for you? Well, the export sales flash announcements to China is kind of catching my eye. You know, we had quite a few of those last week. Had a pause yesterday, didn't get a sales announcement. I really kind of thought they were done for now. But this morning, China stepped back in and bought 136,000 corn for a, from U.S. So that's nice to see. Uh, again, it seems like on dips, China's right there to buy. And I think you'll see that to continue. Yes, Brazil's got a monster crop, and they'd rather buy from Brazil than us. But I think China's reserves are fairly depleted still from, you know, the COVID years, you could call it. So I think, you know, on dips, they'll be in there buying it. And let's hope so, because our export demand is sure behind pace right now for corn. So we need to see that continue just to meet USDA's forecast right now. Absolutely, Dwayne. Speaking of USDA forecast, of course, we're just about two weeks from uh, yeah, grain stocks, planting intentions. Are you taking positions today to gear up for those reports? Or do you want the markets to work a little bit more? Kind of hoping the markets can work maybe just a little bit more. But, yeah, that report's right around the corner, March 31st. So not this Friday, but next Friday. I kind of assuming, uh, you know, the planning intentions are going to be pretty close to the USDA outlook form. I, I, everyone up here has been talking about the intention to plant more corn acres and soybeans kind of close to steady the same. The problem up here is intentions versus what we actually get planted by the end of June, and the June report uh, can be quite different. We got quite a snowpack up here, but that story is probably a couple of weeks out. Uh, also looking forward to the quarterly stocks report on the 31st to see how good demand has been over the last quarter. We're still going to show that stocks are fairly tight uh, for old crop corn, soybeans, and wheat all combined. On that wheat question, Dwayne, we've seen elevated corn costs now for coming up on three years. Do you expect to see more disappearance as wheat works its way into feed rations? I, yeah, I do, especially on that quarterly stocks report. We're just we're very tight, and the prices dropped ever since we found out how tight we were in the December uh, quarterly stocks report. So, like you said, I think a little bit more. Uh, wheat gets into the feed ration. Of course, we're feeding fewer cattle right now than a year ago, too, but still, they need to eat something, right? So, yeah, wheat's mixed in there. Uh, and export demand isn't great, but it's not horrible. Um, you know, Russia's still dominating the export market, but even their price is getting pretty cheap. I wonder at some point they're not going to want it to be a little bit higher, too. The biggest thing is, you know, this wheat coming out of dormancy, Kansas wheat crop yesterday, conditions increased just a little bit in the good to excellent, but 50% of it is still poor to very poor. I think we've got to watch the poor to very poor, poor and start to ignore the good to excellent. That's a lot of crop in, in tough conditions. So that should put a bottom in this market, along with the funds that have near record short the wheat complex. I think you know, last week they were getting out of those short positions for the margin calls and money flow, like I mentioned at the beginning of this interview. Well, Dwayne, let's turn our focus over to the cattle complex. We've got another day, it would appear, of weakness here for live cattle, but the the fundamentals look strong. Do you expect to see a turnaround? I, I I think we will make a bottom here fairly soon. You know, there's a lot of talk. Was that it? Was that the high when June got to about 162? It 
might be, but you're right. The fundamentals are still strong in the nearby. You know, cattle and feed report did not show a big increase in cattle, right? Still down about 4%. So you're probably going to see the April contract continue to gain on the June and the other deferred contracts as it stays a little bit closer to cash. But packers are pretty good at seeing a weak market. They may let the box beef, the choice box beef, trend a little bit lower this week to try to stimulate lower cash cattle trade as well too so they might take a little bit of red uh, on some of the meat they're selling now just to buy more cattle at a cheaper price so but overall i see the bottom happening pretty darn soon here all right folks keep an eye out for that we've been talking with Dwayne bussy of bolt marketing and Dwayne, always appreciate your insight thanks for joining us today thanks anytime mike And folks, stay here on AOA. When we return, we'll talk about changes to the WOTUS rule with Mary Thomas Hart of NCBA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. 
And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate being a part of your day today. And for this next segment, we're going to turn our focus back to that bad penny in the world of agriculture, the news that just won't go away, and that's the rural waters of the United States. We've got many of these different rules out there right now, hoped that a court was going to streamline the process earlier this week. We were not so lucky. Joining us for an update on all of the situation surrounding this waters of the U.S. and the travails that Ed has been going through is Mary Thomas Hart. She serves as the chief counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're talking WOTUS yet again, Mary Thomas. We had a case. We had the Biden's WOTUS rule being sued by several different states, and that went to court. Can you fill us in on on what happened and how it all went down? Yep. So that's a great question. And I think it's important to clarify that, that we're still in court, right? We're still litigating this rule. The first step of our litigation against the Biden administration's WOTUS definition was to ask the court for a nationwide preliminary injunction. Um, we wanted to put the, the rule on hold until either we had the opportunity to litigate it all the way through or until we heard back from the Supreme Court in the Sackett versus EPA case. So Unfortunately, the judge d- declined our motion to uh, grant a nationwide preliminary injunction. So yesterday, March 20th, the Biden WOTUS definition went into effect in 48 states. Now, the judge did grant a preliminary injunction in Texas and Idaho. So if you're a landowner in either of those states, you're not subject to the Biden rule. There are also some other cases around the country that have different states involved. Um, in total, we, we could see uh, about 27 states get a preliminary injunction, but we haven't received decisions from those federal courts yet. All right, Mary Thomas. So this is a very complicated case. As it stands right now, today, as we're talking on the 21st of March, 48 states are currently under the rule of Biden's waters of the U.S. rule. What does that mean? That's in effect today. What do we as landowners need to be concerned about since it wasn't put on a a temporary injunction for the country? Great question. You know, not formal legal advice. And and I think, you know, landowners should certainly, um, you know, talk to someone before they start a project like this. But if you have a water feature on your property after yesterday, after the rule going into effect, I think it's wise to, you know, get some technical assistance before you think about, you know, starting um, grass waterway maintenance projects or, you know, building a new stock pond, things like that. Because, you know, again, it's a new rule, different from the Obama rule, different from the Trump rule. Um, And I think that the Army Corps and EPA are still trying to figure out, you know, how to best implement this definition. Um, So I think a a cautious approach is probably best right now um, for those 48 states, at least. 
And Mary Thomas, I mean, the reason you advise folks being cautious is because this Biden rule, there is no way me as a landowner can just walk out, look at my ground and say, yeah, that's a wetland. I need to be careful about it. It's all determined by experts under this Biden rule, correct? It's extremely difficult, right? And and there is no or very few bright line categories of jurisdictional features, right? We know that traditional navigable waters are in. We know that those um, directly abutting wetlands are in. We know that those, you know, perennial tributaries that flow year round are probably in. Um, but when it comes to isolated features, ephemeral features that only carry water after it rains, um, the, Biden defi- the Biden definition doesn't give us a clear yes or no, in or out for those types of features. And they say in the rule that it's going to require a case by case determination, which means that you're going to have to, you know, get someone out there to, to kind of look at look at the feature look at the flow of water, determine where it's going, how much it's contributing to downstream water quality. Obviously, a a time commitment and a significant financial commitment. That's why we're fighting the definition in court. Um, But, you know, I think for the time being, better safe than sorry. That is a great point. Better safe than sorry. However, this doesn't apply to those producers in Texas and Idaho. Mary Thomas, why were those two states uh, allowed to get an injunction on this particular rule? So in in our litigation in Texas, it was our coalition of of national trade associations and CBA, other ag groups, some non-ag trade associations, but then also the state attorneys general from Idaho and Texas also are participating in that litigation. So they were able to achieve, you know, state-specific preliminary injunctions um, for their constituents. But the judge was, I think, a a bit conservative um, in considering the concept of a nationwide injunction and has, has not been, you know, has, has not been ambitious about granting those nationwide preliminary injunctions. So um, we tried, we, we made the request. Um, unfortunately, he, he didn't, you know, give us what we asked for. But I think that the opinion provided some really helpful, um, you know, kind of guidance for where this judge falls on the WOTUS rule itself. He, he certainly had some valuable criticism of the rule. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic going forward um, through the litigation process. So as you look forward in this litigation process, Mary Thomas, you mentioned this case is continuing. This one ruling was just really at the very start of the process. Could we get more states get injunctions if more state AGs were to sign on to the case? Or has that part moved behind us and now we, we go forward with a different track? So this is just one case that is, you know, related to the Biden-WOTUS definition that's happening across the country. There's a case in North Dakota that I believe currently has 23 or 24 states involved. Um, And the state of Kentucky also has litigation um, against the rule in their state. So, you know, overall, we could get to a point where about 20, 27 states get a, a preliminary injunction under under their, you know, various cases. Um, I don't want to make any any affirmative statements on that yet, just because we haven't heard back from those judges, haven't heard back from those courts. Um, but there's certainly there's certainly still the potential to grow the number of states that are, you know, protected by a preliminary injunction. 
All right, so we can still see those uh, those decisions come out from those various judges as we go forward. Setting all of that aside, looking at this legal challenge against the current administration's WOTUS rule, what does the timeline look like, Mary Thomas, especially since we have this uh, Supreme Court case about WOTUS floating out there with a the decision, no doubt, shortly? I think, you know, we we can expect a decision from the Supreme Court in a matter of weeks. Um, I actually uh, was just listening to the Supreme Court this morning because they were set to release some opinions and we had our fingers crossed that they might drop the the Sackett decision this morning. Um, but unfortunately, they they pulled back. They they only released one opinion and it wasn't the one we were looking for. Um, but we'll certainly be keeping a close watch on the Supreme Court for the next few weeks until we get an opinion in the Sackett case. And, you know, I think that there's a there's a really good chance that the Supreme Court gives us something um, that will require the Biden administration to take this rule back to the drawing board. Um, if the Supreme Court kind of backtracks on the significant nexus test in any way, um, then this rule isn't going to pass legal muster. Okay, so that's really the crux of the issue. This rule and the Sackett case both have that significant nexus component. And Mary Thomas, just so I understand it right, that's the idea that the water we don't see underground perhaps could be impacting the ecosystem, right? It, I think it's it's an incredibly broad test for which features should be regulated by the federal government or, you know, subject to federal permitting requirements. And when the test was first written about back in 2005, Justice Kennedy gave this kind of laundry list of issues that could be considered under underground or, you know, subsurface flow is certainly one of those factors. But Think about, you know, distance from a traditional navigable water, um, impact on wildlife, um, how how frequently, how how many times during the year that the water is flowing through that feature, what direction the water is flowing through that feature. All of these factors that, you know, make it nearly impossible to kind of go out, look at a feature and make a preliminary determination about whether something's jurisdictional and almost always requires technical assistance. Um, and like I said before, that's not uh, that's not very time or cost effective. No, it certainly isn't. Hopefully the Supreme Court will see that. They had some interesting questions during oral arguments. Mary Thomas, you hope in the next, what do you say, month to six weeks, we should hear those, uh, those decisions coming out from the Supreme Court? I, I think Definitely in the next two months, hopefully before that. All, all right, folks, we'll keep that on the radar. Mary Thomas, of course, NCBA covering this in detail. Where can folks keep up to speed on the work you're doing on these issues? So, to follow this and other issues, you can go to policy.ncba.org um, and we will we will continue to keep you updated. All right, folks, these definitions will continue to change over the next couple of weeks, and they matter. Pay attention to them. We've been talking with Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up here in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. 
Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at the market trade, fairly quiet, mixed action being seen. Grains a little higher. We are off our highs here in corn, beans, and wheat. Uh, but overall, seeing a decent start to the day as the general broad money flow back into commodities is being seen as fears ease on Wall Street with the banking sector. There is caution, though. Traders waiting to see what the Federal Reserve will say after their two-day meeting it wraps up tomorrow. Dollar index trading at a five-week low near 103 this morning. The VIX, Wall Street's fear index, that's back below 23 this morning as well. Crude oil about 1% higher here as we work through our trading day with crude up uh, right at about $1.39 a barrel, 69.03 at last check. Dow Jones was up over 300 points. It's still hovering around there, up 261. NASDAQ up 102, S&P up 37. We did get another cord sale reported to China this morning, 136,000 metric tons. That brings the total for last week and this week so far to 88 million bushels for the 22-23 old crop corn. We're uh, remaining fairly firm on that news. Still, though, cord beans off the highs, one to two higher for the most part. Wheat is also fairly mixed to higher. Kansas City wheat leading the way amid very poor crop ratings being seen for that KC hard red winter wheat crop, especially in the state of Kansas coming out Monday afternoon. Fairly mixed activity in cattle and hogs. These markets seem like they want to go higher, but still waiting on just some fundamental support to move the cattle and hog contracts higher. Live cattle lean hogs doing their best to try and lead as feeder cattle under a little bit of pressure with corn up slightly. But overall, fairly quiet, muted market tone. Just a lot of caution being seen across the broader trade as we work through Tuesday's session. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. If there's one thing we know in modern agriculture is that decrees from Washington, D.C. can certainly have an impact on our business. And today is a very busy day in Washington, D.C. First of all, this morning, there's a hearing going on at the EPA. Now, this is a hearing that's being held to bump up the approval of year-round E15 sales to the summer of 2023. If you've been listening to AOA over the past several months, you know that this has been a push by the biofuels industry. Eight to 10 different states in the Midwest have been driving to get their consumers' approval to use E15 in the summer months. As of right now, EPA alleges it's too volatile to use in the summer. It it gets more volatile with a one pound per square inch pressure, and they say that's too much. Well, biofuel producers uh, look back over the past year. They saw the the emergency waiver that was granted in 2023 and, uh, excuse me, in 2022, and, and it worked. And they'd like to see the same sort of fuel freedom allowed for this summer. Well, as a lot of us can recall here, two weeks ago, EPA made a ruling saying they are going to waive that one pound per square inch wheat reed vapor pressure rule, but they're not going to do it until 2024. Now, biofuels groups by and large were pleased that the EPA had taken the time to listen and put this on the schedule, but there is frustration remaining that as it stands today, there is no way for American consumers to buy E15 during the summer months. So they have been pushing EPA to get that back on the schedule. And today, EPA had that hearing. Now, Growth Energy, Renewable Fuels Association, and the American Coalition for Ethanol all had a chance to present their case, and all three groups said roughly the same thing. E15 works. Consumers adapted to it over this past year. We saw retailers put in the pumps that are required to handle it, and if they've made that investment, they should be allowed to utilize that infrastructure all year round. They they argue, the, uh, the biofuels proponents argue that in 2022, there were no ill effects from the emergency waiver being granted. In fact, all that happened was that consumers were saved a pile of money incorporating ethanol and other biofuels into their rotations and air quality improved. So from the, the biofuels proponents perspective, approving E15 for sale in 2023 should be easy. Their retailers are ready. They're excited for it. And today they all had the opportunity to present to the EPA. So now, of course, the EPA's rule is still a proposal. They are still conducting hearings and moving forward. Hopefully, we can get a decision out here before that E15 rolls off the market on June 1st. So we've got biofuels under discussion in Washington today, but we also have expanded federal protections for ground in the countryside. Notably, President Biden today is expected to designate two new national monuments. Now, this is something the Biden administration has been fairly active on here over the past two years, naming places that do have uh, national history as national monuments. And the two that he will be announcing today, uh, one's in Nevada, Avi Kawa Ami, A-V-I-K-W-A-A-M-E is the name of one of these national monuments. It's in southern Nevada. It includes uh, the, the mountain they call Spirit Mountain, which uh, the administration says is part of the creation story for several tribal nations in that area. So they're going to get that some protection. And then the other one is the Kastner Range in El Paso, Texas. So way down in south Texas. 
This particular stretch of ground was a training and testing site for the army during World War II. And then, in fact, it was used all the way through the Korean War, in fact. And it includes 6,600 acres, a little bit more than that, on the Franklin Mountain Range there in Texas. It's home to many different species, including the Mexican poppy, also home to some cattle grazing on those areas. So we'll see if these national monument designations um, will indeed have some impact on, on cattle production, on ag production in those two states. They are, however, somewhat smaller national monuments than we're used to seeing. An additional decree expected to come out today, though I have not had confirmation from this independently. But while he's thinking about national monuments, apparently we might get a designation of a new marine sanctuary later today. This would cover all of the waters around Pacific, excuse me, around the Pacific Remote Islands. It's a group of islands to the southwest of Hawaii. Uh, there's already basically a marine national monument there. This is going to expand. It's going to just about double the size of that particular monument. So that's issue one coming from the Biden administration on rural lands coming today. There's another administration. This was actually announced yesterday, though. Today we are expected to get more text of the rules. But this is wildfire resilience. $197 million was awarded on Monday, and this is through the bipartisan infrastructure law, that uh, that bipartisan bill that was passed here two years ago uh, as COVID was taking charge. Those funds are still being rolled out. Uh, yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris and Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack had the chance to get on a call to talk about this spending, and they said that this particular funding, this $197 million, is going to go to 100 specific projects focused on resilience around file fire wildfires in 22 different states uh, so there the activities that this is going to fund include things like putting together community wildlife plans or excuse me wildfire plans or brush removal and reducing the severity of wildfires here um, across the country and of course Kamala Harris is, has been very active on this uh, being a Californian she's very familiar with the damage that wildfires can cause and she said, quote, over the past 30 years, the number of acres burned per year by wildfire has more than doubled. And uh, that is something they are concerned about. So we'll see as this money gets doled out how it will or might help improve life in rural communities impacted by wildfires. An ongoing story that's worth checking out is the HPAI outbreaks. Folks, we've been discussing this for several years across the world of agriculture, and these outbreaks continue. HPAI, of course, bird flu, avian influenza. We had another report of an outbreak this week in a backyard flock in Chickasaw County, Iowa. However, that has prompted the Iowa Department of Ag to issue warnings once again to poultry producers across the state. Just a reminder, as temperatures warm up across the country. Humans aren't the only ones celebrating. Our friends in the sky are flying north again, which means as those migratory pathways fill with birds, the odds that some of them might be carrying HPAI certainly grow. And as they move from the south to the north, they could begin spreading HPAI one more time. So we had one outbreak in a backyard flock in Iowa. Unfortunately, that's not the only one. Pennsylvania has so far quarantined more than 200 flocks here over HPAI concerns. Uh, they said 200 
107 so far in Lancaster and Chester counties that serve live bird markets in the wake of HPI outbreaks have been quarantines. Uh, Kevin Brightbill, who's the uh, state veterinarian in the state of Pennsylvania, had some concern that poultry farms were trying to manage sick birds without reporting outbreaks to state officials. This is a call, folks. If you're a poultry backyard producer, commercial producer, you name it. If you've got a sick bird, please report those. That's how we can track the spread and an ongoing impact of HPAI. Uh, Kevin Brightbill encouraged producers to check their birds twice per week to see if they are staying healthy. America is not the only place impacted by HPAI. We had an outbreak north of the border in Ontario. This was confirmed by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. This is the first outbreak in that province since 2022. December 21st, 2022 was the last time they had an HPAI case in Ontario. And in fact, this is the first case confirmed in Canada since February 8th. It does make sense. Those birds are moving back north. Now, the Canadians uh, did not specify the type of poultry operation that was infected. All they did note is that it was a commercial operation and that they did say it was the 31st case of the deadly virus there amongst Canadian producers. We've also got some news coming out of Brazil. We've talked with a lot of market experts here on the program about Brazil's efforts to build ties with China. They've signed several agreements on sanitary and phytosanitary uh, agreements with regard to sales of crops from Brazil into China. And Brazil's new president, Lula da Silva, is looking to capitalize on that. It was announced that he will be taking a delegation of 240 business representatives to China. They're going to head over next week, March 26th to the 30th, and they will be visiting Shanghai and uh, Beijing. And uh, they believe this is going to open some more doors for Brazilian exporters into China. Of the 240 business representatives who will be going, 90 represent the agricultural sector. Brazil is looking to raise its profile with Chinese buyers, and this is one way they're going to try to do that. Well, ag, the American ag industry is not going to play second fiddle, and we saw yesterday 50 different U.S. ag and food groups come together, issue a letter, and urge Congress to approve new legislation that would allow the U.S. to negotiate more free trade agreements. This legislation is called Trade Promotion Authority. We've heard it discussed several times over the past 50 15 years. Many presidents have had it. President Trump had TPA. President Obama had TPA. Both of those used those uh, that legislation to get more agreements signed more quickly. Well, these ag groups led by most of the large commodity organizations have come together to say we need that kind of approval for the Biden administration. They have not been thrilled necessarily with the slow pace of free trade agreements and negotiations under this administration. And their argument is that if we were to open up the process, let the admin negotiate with a little more freedom from Congress, perhaps we could see some more forward movement and better represent American agricultural products around the world. So far, TPA has not been introduced in Congress, but we'll continue to watch for legislators friendly to those ag exporters. We'll see if they can get it introduced here in the future. Folks, stay with us here on AOA. When we return, Max Armstrong of This Week in Agribusiness will be joining us from Washington, D.C., where he's out celebrating Ag Day. Keep it tuned here for more AOA right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. 
fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. In this second installment of a six-week series, Nelson Neal, the head of CHS Global Research, describes another trend shaping the future of agriculture. Today, we're talking about labor market changes. Nelson, the past three years have caused major upheaval in available labor. Give us an overview, if you would. If we look back over the last couple of years, beginning with the pandemic outbreak, you know, there have been a couple of drivers that I think have resulted in a shortfall in workers. Number one, we had the baby boomer generation. When the pandemic hit, based on health considerations, based on where they were financially, they just basically said, I'm done with working. It's time for me to retire. So that was a big swath of workers that exited the labor pool. And in fairness, the oldest baby boomer is 77 years old, with the youngest boomer of that generation being nearly 60 years old. So it's probably high time and fair time for that cohort to exit the market. So that was factor number one. Number two really manifests itself in some immigration restrictions and regulation put in place during President Trump's time in office. And that restricted immigration into the country. And that had a perhaps an outsized effect on agriculture versus other Im- industries, given its reliance upon immigrant labor to execute on the farm. So that was the second gut punch, if you will, from a labor force perspective. And the third really had to do with prime age workers, those 25 years old through 54 years old. During the pandemic period, many had to leave the workforce to take care of an aging mom and dad who could no longer 
longer remain in the senior living facility or kids that were no longer able to attend school in person. So these were kind of three factors during that pandemic time period that really created stress on the labor markets. And if you fast forward to today, I'm not sure that that labor pool has recovered. Folks, that's Nelson Neal, head of CHS Global Research. Nelson, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Today, of course, just after the first day of spring, marks Ag Day, the national celebration of agriculture. And joining us for an update from the spot itself is Max Armstrong of Farm Progress, host of This Week in Agribusiness. And Max, you're in Washington, D.C. to celebrate Ag Day. You've been involved with Ag Day a long time. What's the importance of this day to you? Yeah, you know, it's a day that we set aside, Mike, to uh, really pay tribute to America's agriculture industry and to remind all of us the uh, contribution to our society, not the least of which, of course, is uh, is uh, feeding us. But we have, of course, the energy that we derive, the fiber, and increasingly it's an environmental answer, as, as the organizations involved in Agriculture Day point out. That this is the uh, 50th anniversary, 50th year for this uh, event. 50 years we've been celebrating Ag Day in Washington, D.C. And Max, for those of us who have never had the chance to make it to D.C. for this event, what kind of events are going on? What are they doing to celebrate Ag Day? You know, it's a little bit different this year, Mike. Last year, they had farm equipment on the mall, various pieces of equipment, a big sprayer. There was a crop dusting airplane that had been brought in. Uh, That's the involvement of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And I have a feeling they're going to do that again next year. They wanted to take a year off this year, and I think AEM, the equipment manufacturers, have plans to actually display some construction equipment here on the mall in Washington in May or June. So they're getting ready for that event. They wanted to take a, a year off for for Ag Day, but you have a, a there's a reception taking place right uh, in a few minutes at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The Secretary of Agriculture will be there to address the crowd. The President of the American Farm Bureau, Zippy DeWall, will be there. And uh, there's a, a video that's going to be played also. I know um, some other officials will be. It's always interesting, you know, to see who's in the crowd because sometimes it's former USDA officials, current lobbyists, sometimes the members of Congress, 
and uh, sometimes, of course, the staffers for those folks who serve up on Capitol Hill. Yeah, they all get together. Max, is, is Ag Day a time that you're going to see farmers talking with policymakers and legislators, yeah. or is it more of a PR-type day? No, you're exactly right. This is the time of the year that agriculture organizations come in to lobby their lawmakers, as they are entitled to do this, and other groups do too. Quite often, this hotel where we stay on Capitol Hill has members of uh, labor unions, uh, has teachers, uh, various uh, professional organizations represented because they come in to, to lobby as well about uh, legislation that is important to them. So you do see a lot of that. Just moments ago, I just talked to a gentleman, uh, Mr. Kramer, Kevin Kramer, and his wife from northern Michigan. They have a farm there. and Yep, they're out here to visit their lawmakers, too. So it's a, a good time for that. Seems like March allows uh, for quite a bit of that each year. Max, how many farmers are do you expect to see running around? Is it predominantly a farmer event on the ground, or is it mostly policymakers, folks from the executive agencies coming around to, to talk to, to folks today? You know, it's funny because you can't really put your finger on it. You only really notice them in the hotel. This hotel where we stay on Capitol Hill is right across from the offices of the American Farm Bureau. So we'll see a lot of Farm Bureau members coming into the lobby uh, there. You'll see them on the street. Sometimes they'll come up to us to visit. But as far as a group of them together, you don't see too much of that. Now, later in the day, there's a, an Ag Day celebration uh, put on, a private event put on by the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. There's a, a program, a Taste of Ag reception, they call it, tonight at the Library of Congress, where we will see, yes, uh, farm organization leaders, but also those folks who make a living out here on Capitol Hill, too. And, Max, of course, you've got a camera on hand. You'll be bringing yeah. clips from this week to This Week in Agribusiness on this weekend's show? Yep, you bet. And, you know, I guess the thing that comes to mind while we're out here, as you know so well, time because of the essence of the writing of the Farm Bill this year and uh, and the promise that it could get messy later on as we get in uh, knee-deep in that process. So folks are wanting to have their say. That's why they're here. Absolutely. That's what it comes down to, folks. We're talking with Max Armstrong, who's out in Washington, D.C. for the National Ag Day celebrations. You can catch up on that celebration this weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. Max, I know you've got to go listen to the Secretary of Agriculture here in a few moments. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us here on AOA. Mike, it's always great to be on with you, Rascal. Thanks for having me. Well, and if the secretary comes with any big announcements during his presentation to the folks at Ag Day in D.C., we'll be sure to bring that update tomorrow here on AOA. But before we go for the day, we've got a couple of other stories here from the world of agriculture that might need some attention. Notably, this one came out of Russia. And now it is worth noting, this has not been verified by an announcement from the Russian government. But according to a newspaper, they reported that in September, foreign seed makers looking to sell their seeds in Russia or in the Russian Federation, they will be required to form joint ventures. Now, we heard earlier this week that President Xi Jinping is in Russia talking to Vladimir Putin. And if the idea of having foreign companies form joint ventures with your local company sounds familiar, that's because that is a playbook from the country of China. So it certainly sounds as though Xi and Putin have been talking, sharing strategies. This uh, report, unconfirmed report right now, would say that foreign seed makers looking to operate in Russia will need to enter a joint venture where the foreign seed maker stake cannot exceed 49%. We'll hear if these rules do come to fruition in the coming weeks. 
We've got another piece of interesting news. This one, ah, just kind of the headline grabbed my attention. There is a very noted vegan in Washington, D.C., currently serving in the Senate. It's Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, vegetarian since 1992, vegan since 2014. It made headlines on Monday when Senator Booker tried chicken for the first time in 30 years. Now, you may be saying, well, that's not a vegan if he's trying chicken, but he found a loophole. And the loophole that Senator Booker found was cell-cultured meat. Yesterday, he had the chance to travel to San Francisco, where he sampled poultry, uh, chicken meat, I suppose. I, I don't know if they're calling it poultry, that would have been grown in a lab at the Good Meat Company, G-O-O-D, Good Meat. Uh, they developed this cell-cultured chicken, and uh, this was the invitation for Senator Booker to try it. His reports, quote, it tastes phenomenal. He went on to say, I went to a company that does lab-grown meat. I was kind of freaked out. I wasn't sure what it would be. They take a cell and biopsy it and grow it. I finally agreed to try it, and I was blown away. End quote. It does sound like this cell-cultured meat is coming. We'll continue to watch that story here on AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow from the campus of Huntington University in Indiana. We'll be joined by Arlen Suderman with a look at these commodity markets. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite.